Welcome to Beltway Talk, the podcast of the American International Automobile Dealers Association, where we examine the intersection between politics and the automobile retail industry. I'm your host, Hannah Oliver. Today's podcast is brought to you by Kerrigan Advisors, the leading sell-side advisor for high-value dealerships. At Kerrigan Advisors, we believe dealerships are too valuable to be sold any other way. Find out more at AIDA.org. Joining us on today's podcast is Erin Kerrigan, who is the founder and managing director of Kerrigan Advisors. Her firm is the leading sell-side and thought partner to auto dealers in the U.S., and she's a recognized industry expert on dealership buy-sells, valuation, real estate, and private equity. She's also a frequent speaker at auto retail events, including AIADA's Washington Fly-In. She's here today to talk about Kerrigan Advisors' second quarter Blue Sky Report, which her firm released earlier this month. It details the trends and outlook for the dealership buy-sell environment in the second quarter of 2019. Welcome to Beltway Talk, Erin. Thank you so much for having me, Hannah. I'm really excited to be here. Cool. Well, let's jump in. I, um, I think many of our listeners are familiar with who you are and what you do, but for those who might not be, could you give us a quick overview of who you are and what Kerrigan Advisors does? Sure. Uh, again, my name is Erin Kerrigan, and I am the founder and managing director of Kerrigan Advisors, which I founded in 2014. Mm-hmm. Our firm is the leading sell-side advisor and thought partner to auto dealers and their families. And we really pride ourselves on our singular focus, which is working with dealers and their families to increase the value of their business. We advise dealers uh, from growth through exit and and really through the life cycle of owning and operating their business, helping with growth strategy, consulting on valuation, on uh, buy-side consulting, through capital raising or assessing capital allocation, and mm-hmm. ultimately only when the time is right selling their business when the family members decide that's the right thing for them to do. Well, it sounds like that keeps you very busy. Um, I know that you guys just released the second quarter Blue Sky Report, which is what you are here to talk with us about today. Um, Can you start by highlighting a few of the trends that you're seeing in the dealership buy-sell space in the second quarter? Sure. Yeah, it was a a very active quarter, down slightly from last year, but nonetheless still very active. Uh, In fact, if you take the first half of the year, uh, we completed, in our analysis, as an industry, 103 transactions. So we are once again tracking to over 200 transactions for this year. That would put us on pace for uh, for six consecutive, consecutive years of over 200 transactions. We estimate about 12% of the dealer body in the U.S. has actually traded hands since 2014. So we still have a very active market. Um, Some of the trends that we saw are we did see that domestics took a much larger share of the buy-sell market in the first half, Mm -hmm. almost 70%, which that's a big, big share increase from uh, just a few years ago where it was around 50%. We did also see that in the transaction activity, we saw fewer multi-dealership transactions, so more single dealerships being sold. And we really we really think that is a bit because dealers that are in growth mode, some of them are pruning off franchises or dealerships that 
they are not as successful in. So we have seen that as a trend. Uh, we may even write about it in our next report. We also continue to see outside capital looking to get into our industry. We, as a firm, have more and more uh, investors. We have over 400 different contacts of outside capital that that are looking to invest in auto retail, want to learn more about auto mm-hmm. retail, and we think that is a trend that is going to continue. That's all very helpful. I know um, in reading through the report, I know you mentioned that Transactions had dipped slightly, I think, in the first half of the year. Is that correct? Yeah, it is correct. Okay. I was just curious why that was the case. And I know, you, I know you're projecting you know, a strong market through the rest of the year, but could you lend some insight to that? Of course. So what we, are see, what we, what we think really was happening in the first half of the year is, it, is that you saw the effects of six months prior Mm -hmm. when we saw the stock market take a pretty steep decline and the Kerrigan Index, which is an index of the six publicly traded auto retailers, new auto retailers, as well as CarMax, as seven stocks are included in the Kerrigan Index. That index declined almost 30% from June till December of 2018. And so, we were in a, a much more questionable period at the end of in those last six months, 2018. Okay. And what you see in the first, second quarter of 2019 is the effects of that. Because what you have to remember is in the buy-sell market, there's at least a six-month lag to get transactions done. So if buyers are pulling back, you'll not see that for six months. Now, interestingly, with yeah, with interest rates now coming down – um, and lots of other positive things being announced, we actually think the second half of the year is going to be quite different. But we really think the reason you saw a dip in the second quarter was because of the negative news in the fourth quarter of last year that is being playing out in this second quarter. Okay, that makes sense. Um, now, I know you talked about the domestics being a big chunk of the buy-sell space. Um do you have any insight into which franchises are performing the best? Um, yes, certainly. I- interestingly, uh, the domestics multiples still are strong. Um, they're in the they're lower than than the imports and the luxury, but um, still are in the you know four to five range for for Chevrolet and Ford, and three to four range. For CJDR, although okay. I will point out that we have a positive um, um, outlook on CJDR, so we could expect that multiple to increase as a result of the growth in Jeep and, and the uh, demand for that franchise. Of course, imports always have had the highest multiple uh, since our report has been published, luxury having the, the absolute highest, although I will point out that luxury has fewer transactions because, quite frankly, uh, the valuations are so high that, it, in many cases, it's hard for those to transact. The, the, the return on investment profile can be lower for those franchises, given the high multiples. So you see fewer of the uh, import luxury trade. In fact, it's just 9% of the buy-sell market 
and fewer of the import uh, non-luxury trade, although their multiples remain very strong. I would say amongst the franchises, uh, the import franchises, Toyota, Honda, and Subaru uh, have the highest multiples for non-luxury. We have seen some of the other uh, non-luxury imports uh, have some challenges. Um, you have Nissan that we actually downgraded their high-end multiple so that they are now in line with Hyundai and Kia this last quarter. Uh, I don't think I need to say anything about why some of the challenges uh, that there are that exist with Nissan, mostly a business model challenge, frankly, in, in that you know the profitability is, it varies quite significantly from franchise to franchise. Uh, we do see VW as having uh, some positive momentum, and uh, we upgraded VW to a positive uh, multiple outlook this quarter, and their sales were up 6%, 6.8% on the first half. And uh, at the end of the day, VW is uh, the largest or the second largest over the last few years uh, OEM, and uh, an A-rated credit, and it really has a lot of viability, we think, as a franchise, mm -hmm. given its global footprint. Okay. Um, so having, I know you just talked a little bit about um, just which franchises are having the best buy-sell values. I kind of want to change gears a little bit um, and talk a bit about public versus private acquisition spending. Have you seen any trends in this area and differences? Yeah, so, so our market, as much as we talk about the Publix, is very much a private market. Okay. As uh, we, we look to the Publix because their valuations are marked to market every business day. We know exactly how much they're worth mm -hmm. because they trade publicly and all their data is available to us. So uh, given that they are the largest groups in, in the country, we think it's very important to, to study them and analyze them and because they, they can be real leading indicators or current indicators of the health of our market. However, the, 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 the auto retail market is 95% private, and not surprisingly, as is the, the buy-sell market. The buy-sell market is 90, uh, in the first half. 95% of the transactions were actually acquired by private. And what we see as a trend is that we think that private dealers more and more will link up with outside capital, these investors that continue to submit their information to the Kerrigan Advisors investor database mm -hmm. uh, online, and that num their numbers continue to grow, and there is a tremendous amount of interest in investing in auto retail, and we think you're going to see more marrying up between growing private groups and professionally managed capital. Okay. Uh, that is a service that actually our firm does provide in, ra in, in raising capital for private dealers that want to structure a, a, an investment with these private capital investors. But the publics, you know, they have limitations, uh, and both framework limitations, and certainly they do have a requirement to invest their capital in a way that is most that provides the highest return to their shareholders. So they have a fiduciary responsibility. So when their stock price goes down and, and with that their their multiple, their valuation multiple, that limits the number of franchises and dealerships they can acquire because they 
sometimes trade at multiples below what the private dealerships trade at. And so they're out of the market when that happens. Uh, and, and when their valuations go up, they're in the market. And so what we've seen is the Kerrigan Index actually rebounded, and it's a trend that we talk about in our report, rebounded in the, in the first half. Uh, so these, the public companies have seen their, their valuations appreciate on average about 37%. So I do think you're going to see them in the second half be more acquisitive, and they've even mentioned that in their, in their earnings reports. But they still will represent a small, a small portion of the, of the buy-sell market. Okay. And you don't see that changing too much in the near future? I don't. Okay. I know uh, there's been a lot of conversation about dealership margins, um, and I think you guys covered this in the report um, and its impact on blue sky values. Can you talk a bit about dealership margins and how they're affecting blue sky values and also what this might tell us about the long-term sustainability of the auto retail model? That's a great question, Hannah. The, I will say that, that certainly margin compression mm-hmm. especially on new mm-hmm. has resulted in lower earnings over the last few years really since 2015 earnings have declined for the average dealership as have as has blue sky interestingly however if you look at gross margins in the first half of 2019 what you see is there was really a bump back up to 2014 levels and that is because, not because new car margins came back. They still are on the decline or, or have at least, you know, leveled, but they're still low. But it's really because the other higher margin parts of our business have, have, have grown quite considerably. And therefore, with the growth in, and those specifically are used cars and fixed operations, and therefore, with that increase in in the growth of those revenue streams, we've actually seen margins stabilize and actually earnings stabilize as well. So there was a slight uptick in dealership earnings in the first half as compared to the first half of 2018. And so that while margins are still challenging on the new vehicle side, uh, fortunately, margins have held up very strong. In, in very well in the new ve- in the used vehicle side, pardon me, and the fixed operation side, and those two revenue streams continue to grow. So, okay. as a business model is um, is sustaining itself. Yeah, clearly. Um, well, that's good news for dealers, obviously. Um, but they are still facing some fairly strong headwinds from things like you know we're working on trade issues here in Washington D.C. And I know there's obviously. Rising vehicle prices. Um, do you see any challenges having an impact on on the buy sell space that you work in? Yeah. So I do think certainly uh, the trade issue is an, is an issue. And we we laud all your efforts because they're incredibly important mm-hmm. for our industry. Uh, I do think that in the end, the OEM tends to bear more of the brunt of those cost increases than ultimately the dealer uh, so and and again it affects the effects are mostly on the new car side and as we just discussed really most of the profits for a dealer come from used and fixed operations 
So while I don't want to, by any means, uh, make light of this trade issue, it is a very big issue, not only to our industry, but also to our whole economy. I, I, I I do think that the dealership business model probably is better positioned than most to manage through this. The the rising vehicle prices here to date have, have been supported in large part because interest rates and, and the financing mechanisms of longer terms have been able to continue to support those uh, new vehicle prices. And I, I think with the, the reduction in interest rates at the Fed level and the continued expectation that they will continue to decline, that will continue to support these higher prices or push buyers into the used market where dealers make more money. Yeah, okay. So I do think that that in terms of the effects on the buy-sell market, here to date we have not seen an effect. And as long as you continue to do the excellent job you do and, and these trade work does not heat up further, I think we'll probably be okay. Well, that's positive news for dealers. Um, and kind of backtrack a little bit on our conversation. You talked about the um, outside capital um, and dealers linking up with this outside capital. Um, so obviously dealerships are still seen as very profitable assets in this current environment. Um, can you kind of explain a little bit about why they are still seen as such profitable assets um, for investors, even though the industry is facing a certain amount of uncertainty at this point? Yeah, you know, it's, it's really interesting. I, I we actually believe that the reason we continue to see more and more investors contacting our firm, looking to get into the industry, looking to get smart on the industry, is because the business model has such attractive counter-cyclical dynamics, meaning that when new car sales decline, often used cars and fixed operations grow okay. because buyers can't buy new cars, so they buy used, mm -hmm. uh, or buyers can't buy new cars, so they service their cars more because they can't go buy a new car. And so as a result, the those those are the higher margin parts of our business model. So when we lose, let's say, you know, we, we can lose $10 of new vehicle sales, and we only need to pick up $1 of fixed operations, and our gross margin, our gross profits are the same because of the margin differentials between those revenue streams. I think the, the, the investor community is realizing that and is pretty interested in investing in auto retail even as a hedge, not to mention the real estate aspect, which is pretty interesting as well, because at the end of the day, the real estate upon which dealers dealerships sit is usually very valuable. And so the also the appreciation of that real estate is pretty interesting if you're a long-term investor. So we do think, despite all the negative headlines about the industry, the industry remains profitable and even saw an uptick in profits, and that's definitely caught the eye of smart investors. I'd also just mention one more thing, which is auto dealerships have a very high variable cost structure, and Kerrigan Advisors pointed out in our end-of-year report that we expected auto dealerships to actually see improved profitability in 2019 because of the business model's ability to reduce expenses pretty quickly. Uh, the fixed expense of a dealership is, is relatively small. Uh, it's mostly rent. And 
And so dealers can be very nimble when and react very quickly when they do see sales decline. And that's why they've historically been profitable. Even when 50% of, of the new vehicle sales disappeared in 2009, the average dealer was still profitable. That's there are not very many industries that can, can say that, uh, very few that I can even think of. <laughs> so I think that you will continue to see a lot of money looking at auto retail as an investment opportunity, and I don't see the buy-sell market slowing anytime soon as a result. Okay. Well, like I said, it sounds like good news. Um, do you have any notes on trends you expect are going to drive the market through the rest of 2019 and into 2020? As we put it on our report, I do think the interest rate dynamic is really helpful. Most of these transactions are heavily financed, especially the real estate side. Mm -hmm. So so they are sensitive to moves in interest rates, and the fact that interest rates are declining will be extremely helpful to buyers and, and certainly sellers as well, because buyers will be better able to meet sellers' pricing expectations. So I think that's a very important trend, probably the most important. I do think the fact that earnings have, have steadied will help the blue sky values going forward uh, for the industry. And you are going to see, I expect, um, more of the public's uh, look at acquisitions as they indicated in their earnings calls because they are seeing an improvement in their in their valuation. And so I think that will also be helpful to the overall buy-sell market for the remainder of the year and into 2020. Okay. Well, this has all been really informative, Erin. Um, just to wrap up, is there anything we missed or anything that you would like to add? No, I think that's it. Uh, I really appreciate being included in this podcast. And uh, if anyone does ever have any questions about the market, I'm always happy to have confidential conversation. I can be reached uh, via email or uh, my direct dial, which is on our website. Okay. Um, well, thanks again for joining us for the Beltway Talk podcast today, Erin. I really appreciate you and appreciate this insight. I think um, listeners are going to find it really beneficial. Okay, thanks, Hannah. Have a great rest of your day. That wraps up this episode of Beltway Talk. If you have any questions about what you've heard on today's episode or want to recommend any topics for future podcast episodes, feel free to reach out at my email, oliverh at aiada.org. Thanks once again for listening and join us again next time for Beltway Talk.